Welcome to Sustainable Futures, the sustainability podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. In each episode, we speak with senior experts from a wide range of disciplines to bring broad understanding to complex topic areas and shine a light on the most pressing sustainability issues facing business and marketing, all designed to help marketers create sustainable futures for brands and business. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to Kantar Sustainable Transformation Series. My name is Jonathan Hall. Kantar is a world-leading data analytics and consulting business, and I lead Kantar's sustainable transformation practice. And we work at the intersection of brands, people as consumers and employees, and social and environmental issues. And today, I'm delighted to have with me Nora Praha from Unis Social Business. Nora, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. My name is Nora Pra, and I'm a strategy and impact manager at Unos Social Business. Unos Social Business was actually founded by uh, Nobel Peace Prize laureate Professor Muhammad Yunus in Bangladesh. And it is a philanthropic venture fund. What that means is that we invest in social businesses in emerging markets via our local teams and then help them to scale. And a social business is really to be understood as a normal company or just a conventional company in that sense, how it operates. So it's financially sustainable. But what makes it special is that the core intention of, of why this organization exists, and it's mostly SMEs, so small and medium enterprises, is to do good for either the communities or for the planet through the services and products. So this is what Unos Social Business does on the one hand on our impact investing arm. And on the other hand, we also run a corporate innovation arm, helping and collaborating with uh, with corporates on that front as well, how to revise their, their operations to make them more sustainable. And my role in all of that is to um, develop new services and products, i.e. to also keep learning from what we see on the ground and innovate ourselves and then on the other hand, measuring and managing the impact of these activities on the investment side and on corporate innovation side. Wonderful. Well, it's a privilege to have you here today, Nora. So the, the topic of today's episode is impact measurement and management. So let, let's start at the beginning, Nora, if we can. Can you help the audience understand what you mean when you say impact? Because obviously it has a very specific meaning in, in this context, doesn't it? Indeed. And I think like that question actually seems easier than it is. It's be like, well, you know, your title involves impact. Surely you would have a set aside like definition of that. But actually impact is not all that straightforward. And I tried to explain how. In a way, when we talk impact in our context here, it's basically how one action triggers or like initiates another one in very simple terms. Where it gets complicated is that that one action with, for example, in our space, it's investments into social businesses. What happens thereafter can be an indirect impact or uh, i.e. directly caused by this or indirect. It can be positive and we hope so, but there might also be negative impacts related to it. It can be what we intentionally do, but there is often also unintentional, maybe even positive impacts that we're not aware of if we don't measure and manage for that. And there is also a timely dimension to it. So on the one hand, it's something that occurs like in the short, medium or long term. And on the other dimension, it's it can be long lasting or only a one off or a short lasting impact. Everybody that will look a bit into IMM would also come across the last sort of dimension, which is um, additionality or contribution. So this is where it's sort of the crown principle of IMM, because it means that what, what we try to be clear about here is 
how much of that change that occurs is actually down to what we do, our actions, and how much would have occurred anyways. So that's the key sort of principle and also the hardest to get to. Excellent. Thank you for that. So impact measurement and management or IMM. Could you just tell us a bit more about who uses IMM? So IMM actually, the, the abbreviation impact measurement and management evolved over the last, I would say, five to seven, seven years. So it was coined around about that time back. It has been around in the international development space, uh, known under monitoring evaluation from the conceptual point of view. However, IMM, so the newer sort of term, is mostly applied in the private sector, I would say. So it it came about from impact investors as they were looking for a way to understand, well, the impact, i.e. The, the changes that their investments in certain portfolio companies cause. Having said that, the concept or the practice of IMM is really for any type of enterprise, maybe a corporate, maybe an SME, a social enterprise and others that want to manage risks on the one side of environmental, social and governance risks, but also on the other hand, more on the uh, one stretch further for those who want to contribute to positive outcomes, for example, the, the social uh, sustainable development goals. So it does apply to both investors and any type of business. Thank you. No, and, and I guess listeners and viewers might be familiar with in the UK, at least, Ronald Cohen and, and his recent book, Impact. So just thinking about those two audiences, he talked about the investors and, and the crew, and thinking about the, the different approaches, how are they related to one another? Could you just go into a bit more detail around that for us? Sure. So if you want to first look at the investor side, so asset managers, foundations, you name it, all, all what falls under the umbrella investor. When they think IMM, the first step is really setting um, the strategy. So what kind of impact do they want to achieve? Um, and that will lead their investment criteria. So what kind of portfolio companies are they looking to invest in? And then it's down to training their teams. What kind of companies should they be sourcing? And then the onboarding and portfolio management up until exit. So it really spans across the whole investment life cycle. Then when we think about corporates, there it's more about thinking about their vision, their purpose, their strategy, regardless of which industry the corporate is in. All corporations have a way to re review their value chain and then see at what point in their value chain there is a chance to, on the one hand, mitigate for negative risks, ESG risks, and where is there room for actually positively contribute to society and the planet. So there it's more from an operational standpoint versus for the investors it's from a, also operational, but in operation for investors is really the investment activities. And the last thing, actually, where the two tie together, well, investors invest in corporations, right? So if you have a corporation that is put on with their IMM practice, it makes life a lot easier for investors to actually build on that and also understand already if that corporate, if that business is fit for their investment criteria and their impact strategy. Excellent. That's super clear. Thank you, Nora. So... Typically, I guess, when people think of measurements, generally speaking, they think about something that comes at the end of, of a process, right? You set up the strategy, you execute the strategy, you measure it, and then perhaps there's some sort of feedback loop. Is that is that true of the case of IMM as well? Actually, IMM, so the measurement is really the tip of the iceberg. So in a way, yes, it comes at the end of the process because you want to see the couple of metrics that there is. But the further you aggregate up, the more nuances you lose so and you will only get to these metrics if your whole process is well thought through because at the end if i'm saying well i really want to provide access to education for low-income communities let's say and i don't collect any information on 
their socioeconomic background or whether, you know, access to education is an issue in this in this geography. I don't know what to make out of, of the metrics at the end of the day if they don't speak to my strategy. So IMM really is a process from A to Z. So it starts by setting your strategy, thinking through what you really want to achieve, then implementing, putting at each step of your operation things in place to actually hold you accountable to that strategy or speak. Are we doing what we what we're meant to do? And then once you have collected information, look at it to verify, well, is it meaningful to us? Is it relevant? And what can we learn from it? And then recycle it back, inform your strategy, learn from it, and really like then reinforce it internally, like inside your organization, but also then use it for advocacy and learn your sharings with the industry. And at that point, probably I wanted to mention a really good course uh, that speaks exactly about to that process from the UNDP and Duke University, and it's called Impact Measurement and Management for the SDGs. So anybody who is interested in learning more about that process, check it out. Okay, great tip. So what I'm getting from that is that clarity, impact strategy, and objectives that you set out is obviously critical. Can you talk a bit more about best practice here and maybe give us some concrete examples so that people can you know, get their heads around it. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Tricky one in a good sense. There are really great examples out there. Um, it's not that we, we started thinking about this yesterday. Um, it's just, it's as I hope I try, like I could convey, it's not all that straightforward. So in my head, best practice is really all those actors that have been around and are humble uh, and understanding that IMM is an imperfect practice and we are still out there learning and we're still revising and optimizing our, our practices. And having said that, one example that I would like to share is from IKEA Foundation, given that they are a partner of ours. So I have experienced it firsthand, let's say, as one of their grantees from YSB. So as a partner of IKEA Foundation, I got to take a deeper look into their strategy and objectives and how you know that trickles down to the end of like their, their process and operations. So they are independent of IKEA, the commercial real estate. So that's just uh, the, the commercial retailer, just to put that out there. But the vision is still related to it, which is to create a better everyday life for many people. You would say, well, what does that mean, right? It's very high level. It's a vision, right? So that's always the, the very, very highest, highest level. But then how they defined everyday life is by, well, our world is really unequal. So we first want to look at inequality of the systems that we operate in and focus on that and how can we alleviate that. So their objective then is to reduce inequality. And within that, they look at income inequality first and foremost. So the target stakeholders or the target group are low-income communities. That is just from an income point of view, but also those communities that lack access to essential services, such as clean air, energy, fertile land, and all the likes, all the basis for good livelihoods. With that sort of level set straight, they then look at thematic pillars. So underneath you would find employment and entrepreneurship, climate action, agriculture and livelihoods. And in all of these pillars, they still focus on low-income communities and support implementing partners such as YSB who contribute through their activities to access to essential services or increasing the livelihoods or improving the livelihoods of low-income communities. And each of those pillars, so 
I'm like going down in terms of detail and granularity, each of those pillars has again what is called a theory of change. So a theory of change is a tool used in a sector that is somewhat a pathway to change. It plots out the steps from inputs to activities to outputs to outcomes and an impact. So at each step, there are certain like assumptions and activities or like things that take place to follow through on do we walk the talk? So do we actually, with our activities, do we walk towards the impact that we that we want to achieve? I hear reduced inequalities. And then they are very precise in what they want to achieve. So with the theory of change in each pillar, so each project that they want to support needs to fall underneath or speak to that theory of change. And then on the lowest or the most granular level, it's asking the partners for indicates for metrics that actually speak to their theory of change. So I hope that was helpful. It was a bit of a long one, but helpful in running the listeners through sort of how that plays out in practice. Yeah, it's super helpful to get an example there. And I think obviously everyone will know IKEA, but just to understand the relationship between the foundation and the core retail business, as you said, ultimately the vision is the same, but how that then led us down into a theme of the reduction of inequality and then into the, the thematic pillars as you describe and then using theories of change by pillar. That, that's super helpful, Nora. Thank you. Probably okay. one last thought there before we jump on. Actually, a really important one is that they also support implementing partners improving their IMM capacities. So, and why I say this is that they really take uh, this learning aspect really seriously. And they know that they can't just ask for information from implementing partners if, you know, they are not, it's not there and the capacities is not there or and no person is, is responsible for IMM, then, well, it's really hard to actually get that information that they, that they want for, that, that, that they would like to get out at the end of the day. And why I mentioned that is because also in investment space, that's I think there is still a quite a big gap in terms of what investors demand. If it's a retail investors or professional investors form from their asset managers and then further down the road for the companies then to invest in, and especially in the impact investing space, asking we're in our case we're investing in social businesses, so SMEs in emerging markets. And if you know our investors have like super highly demanding reporting requirements, unrealistic that they will meet them if they don't get the support in order to build that. And in practice. So that's just, so, I want to stress that because it's a really important point that we are in the IMM space. So there's a transfer of knowledge from the IKEA Foundation to the implementing partners. Absolutely, yes. So just thinking then, going back to metrics, you talk a bit about the key criteria for, for selecting the right approach and, and collecting all of the data that you that you need. Let me tie it back to a concept that is widely known out there, sort of for KPI setting, it's the smart criteria, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. You know, we're not setting targets per se in that sense, because target setting when it comes to impact is really tricky as well, because there are so many variables in the space. So that the sort of attainable part of it, I would take out, I guess, for for this purpose. But the other one's very much all true. So specific in the space in IMM, you want to be really concrete of what you mean by a metric. So definitions, definitions, definitions. And what I mean by that is, for example, even as easy as, as like number of employees, let's say, well, what do you mean by employees? Are we talking permanent? Are we talking temporary? Are they seasonal workers? Should we give you the number at the end of the year? Probably we had like 30 
in July and then we needed to let go in December actually we only have 10 do you want to have like 40 now do you want do you know like what I'm, what I'm trying to get to it's like to be really really specific about what do you mean by a metric and that's just the very easiest example of employment numbers so can imagine how that translates into, into more trickier ones one word on probably the measurability and I hinted towards that already like in the previous point when it comes to reporting requirements so if investors just ask for certain metrics that you know, and, and very extensive and long list of metrics because they think, oh, that'd be interesting to know. It creates a lot of fuss, <laughs> like unnecessary obstacles because we're not research companies, neither are the social businesses that we work with. So we really try to be as pragmatic as possible and sort of strike that balance between rigor that is required, but actually be make it feasible for our company or our portfolio companies to report on it because more often than not, they don't have fully fledged management information system where they can just easily download the information. So that's an important one to be pragmatic, um, i.e. measurable, that it's 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 achievable in that sense. On the other hand, to that point, the, what we found highly important is to involve stakeholders. So our stakeholders, our key stakeholders are the social businesses, the entrepreneurs there, because they know already where they stand, what's important for them kind of information they would like to collect because ideally IMM is not just a reporting exercise it actually informs the business in that sense so only by involving and really speaking with them we understand where they are and what they also want to collect and what's meaningful which brings you to the next one the relevant i.e. meaningful it needs to be tied to the theory of change as mentioned can't measure like access to education for low income uh, you know communities if I'm actually investing in healthcare or like it just really needs to be relevant and tied to your theory of change and limited to information that is that will inform your theory of change and allow you to adjust or optimize. And the last one, probably just the, the time boundness of, of things. It's for when did you collect this information? So what period are you covering? As mentioned, is it an average over the year or the last point of that period? We at YSB, we collected twice a year. We did that more frequently earlier on, but actually we understood that the data quality suffers from asking information too often because then it really does only become a reporting exercise and people just want to, you know, most of the time then just give you the last period's numbers because they didn't collect it again. So that was just not meaningful. Also, impact takes time, as, as we mentioned. So um, we now do that twice a year and we see that actually that's a better approach. And bottom line for all of that, transparency. I guess any assumptions taken when it comes to impact metrics or any IMM reported communication to be very transparent about the assumptions that have been taken and how the definitions that you've followed uh, and the likes. Super, I love the sort of play on smart there. So the specificity, the definition, 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 the pragmatic balance of rigor and feasibility in terms of measurability, that relevance and meaningfulness to theories of change, and then what you've learned in terms of time bound and, and the frequency of data collection for, for data quality, but also keeping stakeholders involved, being as transparent as possible. So just turning to the tools that you use, could you give people one or two examples um, of useful resources for people who'd want to learn more about this? So the most familiar one probably would be the SDGs, which are on the level that we speak, it's sort of impact objectives. So no poverty, no hunger, so uh, climate action, all of that. And actually underneath these goals, there is like a, a row of targets that are more granular and they're actually indicators tied to it. So I would encourage everybody to just check out the page of the SDGs and click through what 
goals tied to which targets and indicators. And that there are some really, really interesting stats out there. And so that's from a very high level. Then for those that want to dig a bit deeper, there is great practitioner guidelines uh, from the Global Impact Investing Network, uh, the GIIN, both on sort of practical guidelines and tools and how to go about uh, building an IMM practice, but also like a lot of industry benchmarks and surveys. And so they do an annual survey of the state of the impact investing uh, market. So that's always a very interesting read. As mentioned, metrics, I also spoke about that briefly. There are a couple of standards out there in the impact investing space. The so-called Iris Plus catalog of metrics is widely used. And I mention it also because they also have a whole library of useful reading material about how to use the metrics and how it ties back into SDGs and other, and other things. And the last one probably to mention is the impact management project, now turned actually impact management platform, and they coined the five dimensions of impact. And what that speaks to is sort of the type of data that you want to collect to shed more light on impact. So they speak about these five dimensions that combined provide a view on, on impact. So we've covered a huge amount of ground, Laura. I'd just like to ask you one final question. If there's one thing that you'd want them to take away from this conversation, out of all of the richness, what would that be? Don't be scared <laughs> by complexity. Just start. Embrace that IMM is an imperfect practice and will always be because we are trying to understand what changes in a person's life and human behavior and our plan. And you know, it's it's tricky and there is no one way to do that, to be patient with your practice and, but most importantly, not to postpone doing it. I think like IMM is not something like, you know, uh, implement for an analogy, implementing a software or so where you're like, oh, you know, each year a new software comes out and then you try to build on top of that. And actually it's never going to be uh, just like if you had gotten for the, if you had waited for the next one. IMM is very much the opposite of that. Just start with the very simple building blocks and start putting more on top of it because each building block and that's the what IMM is all about will teach you something you will learn something out of that and then you will improve and build on that so yeah just don't be scared to get started let's get started that's great advice so Nora thank you so much for for being with us today I think we've covered a, a huge amount of ground everything from an explanation of the notion of impact in this space who uses IMM the different approaches and, and the related approaches in terms of the investor and the corporate view and the role of measurement in, in the development process. Best practice, I think the example of the IKEA Foundation really brought that to, to life for us. And then in terms of metrics, your spin on um, the smart KPIs and, and a whole set of tools for people to be able to go away and review. It just leaves it for me to say thank you for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure and I look forward to the next time when we have a, another conversation because IMM just keeps on moving, right? It does. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Great speaking Thanks with so you. Much, Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Sustainable Futures, a podcast from Kantar. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.